a good day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Please take your Bibles and open to Matthew chapter 13 as we begin a new sermon series on the parables of Jesus. And so this morning we're going to be looking at the purpose of parables. Now, from, uh, from the time I was a child, I loved the parables of Jesus because I, like most people, love stories. Now, stories don't simply lecture people or instruct them or inform them. What stories do is they invite you into a different world. That's why I love Lord of the Rings. That's why I love fantasy stories, because you're invited into another world, right? And, and when you're invited into a different world, you are some, in some ways tricked into considering ideas or thoughts that you would have never considered in just a lecture or even in just a sermon. I hope that as we go through this series together that you will grow in your love and understanding of Jesus' parables as he seeks to transform our hearts and minds into understanding his upside-down, inside-out kingdom that comes to us through the gospel. So that's my hope. So as we begin, I want to make a few introductory background remarks that you need to know. You know, I always do this as we begin a sermon series. Some of you love it, some of you hate it, but all of you have to deal with it. And so um, I like to give a lot of background so you can kind of get into the series. So first, um, I'm going to try to go all the way back to the basics. You need to know what a parable is. So if you've never been here before or you, you've never even heard this word, I want you to know, even if you're a child, what a parable is. The word parable means to cast alongside. That's what it means. They, they, came, they can be stories or narratives that function basically as extended metaphors for you English majors out there or liter, literature teachers. Um, and they're, 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 help us, they're to help us learn. That's the goal of them. A parable illustrates truth through relatable terms and pictures like gardening, farming, um, birds and trees. They, they have all kinds of relatable terms that we can put our minds around. And many people have defined parables as an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. You might have heard that before. Now, that definition is mostly true, but it, it's inadequate to define the whole range of Jesus' parables. Because, whether you know this or not, many of Jesus' parables have nothing to do with heaven at all. So you can't just simply say an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Now, Klein Snodgrass, who is the leading biblical scholar, one of the leading biblical scholars on parables, he says this. So I want to quote somebody smarter than me. It's always a good thing to do. He says this, quote, Parables provide a new set of relations, like interactions between things, that enable us or force us to see things in a fresh way. Parables function as a lens that allow us to see the truth and to correct our distorted vision. They allow us to see, this is so important, they allow us to see what we would not otherwise see. Did you think about that? That's what the parables of Jesus do. They allow us to see something that we wouldn't see otherwise. Okay? And he says, and they presume that we should look at and see a specific reality. 
which means, quote, they are stories with an intent, analogies through which one is enabled to see truth. Now, here's the last three things he says that are so important. A parable's ultimate aim is to awaken insight, to stimulate the conscience, and move to action. Now, here is the most important thing I think he says in his 1,000-page book on the parables. Just want to throw that out there. Biblical parables reveal the kind of God that God is. That is a huge statement. The parables of Jesus reveal the kind of God that God is and how God acts. And they show what humanity is. They not only show us what God is, they show us what humanity is and what humanity should and may become. They're pointing us to a kingdom that really is and what we're really going to be like in that kingdom. So, here's what I want to say about parables. So, that's Klein Snodgrass. Um, And so, this is what I want to say. Parables tend to cut through the pretenses that we use to guard our own hearts. Because we all have defenses. We all set up defenses against God's truth. And so what Jesus' parables do is they cut through those defenses. They cut straight through them to remove the pretense. And so Jesus uses his parables to convince us and persuade us to Jesus' view of the world as it really is. They allow us to see the world as it really is. Jesus was a master at this. Jesus was the most real human being to ever walk the earth. And because of our brokenness, what we want to do is conceal and hide the truth with pretenses. And so the parables remove and rip that out of the way. So that's what a parable is, okay? Second, you might be wondering how many parables there are. It's a good question. If you define parable loosely, then they're somewhere between, I mean very loosely, then there are somewhere between 100 and 250 in the entire Bible. And we're going to look at all of them. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That's, I'm just kidding. My point is, though, that Jesus, that, that my point is that parables weren't new to Jesus. He's not the first person to use parables. The Old Testament prophets used them as well. But Jesus was clearly the one who used the parable form most frequently and to the greatest effect. In fact, think of this. In our post-Christian kind of Western society, um, even if you're, if you're not a religious person, a Christian, or a churchgoer, you might even be from a completely different religion, you've probably still heard of several of Jesus' parables. You probably have used the word like the Good Samaritan before, or the prodigal son. And so that's important. That shows you the impact of Jesus' parables, even on people who've never heard of Jesus. Now, what you need to know is Jesus told roughly 35 parables in the Synoptic Gospels, okay? And many more, by the way, that probably were never recorded. And so we're going to look at about a dozen of them, okay? So this will be about a 12 to 13 week series. Now, you need to know that the Gospel of John, by the way, doesn't contain any parables. That's one of the interesting things about the Gospel of John. The Gospel of Luke contains the largest number of parables, 24 and 18 that are not in any of the other Gospels. That's what makes Luke unique. He tells 24 and 18 of his parables are not in any of the other Gospels. Um, The Gospel of Matthew has 23 and 11 of them are unique. 
And the Gospel of Mark contains eight parables, and two are unique. So, that's what you might be wondering. So we're going to look at about 12 of Jesus' parables. Now, you can, by the way, categorize the, the parables into categories. Okay? I will give you just a few briefly. Here, here are basically five categories I want to give you about the parables of Jesus. Five. Number one, the parables teach us that the kingdom of God is built upon the gospel changing hearts and lives. A lot of, God, a lot of parables about the kingdom and about the gospel changing lives. And that's what we're going to see this morning in our text in Matthew 13. Second, the, 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 the parables also teach us about the upside down values of the kingdom of God. That the first will be last and the last will be first and the greatest is the servant of all. Those are, those are the parables instruct us about kingdom values. Third, the, kingdoms, the, the parables also show us how God compassionately cares for those who are struggling in His kingdom. That we have a God who cares for strugglers. That's a, good, that's a, that's a great encouragement from the parables. Number four, the parables teach us how believers are to live under joy, grace, and forgiveness. A lot of parables about joy, a lot of parables about grace, a lot of parables about forgiveness. And then finally, the, the parables teach us about the coming reign of God's kingdom. That one day the kingdom will be inaugurated and Jesus will step back onto this earth and rule and reign forever. And we should be living expecting that. Right? Keep your lamps lit because you don't know what day Jesus is coming again. So that's what the parables are about. So now let's look at Matthew chapter 13 at our parable. And so Matthew 13, we're going to read verses 1 through 9, and that's my first point, just the parable. Here is the parable right here, verses 1 through 9 in Matthew 13. If you're there, say amen. If you're not there, say hold on. You had a long time to get there, folks. I gave you 10 minutes. All right, here we go. Matthew 13. He says, that day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea and great crowds gathered about him so he got into a boat and sat down and the whole crowd stood on the beach and he told them many things in parables saying so he told a lot of them here's just one of them he says a sower went out to sow so we have a this is an agrarian parable about agriculture a sower went out to sow and as he sowed some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground, where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. And other seeds fell on good soil, and produce grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. So this is the parable, very simple parable. There's a sower who sows the seed anywhere and everywhere, and some falls on a, on a very hard path, and the birds eat it. Some falls in a place where there's shallow soil, and it grows up quickly, but there's no depth, and the sun scorches it, and it withers away. It's very memorable, isn't it? And some falls along where some falls along another place, and then some falls what on good soil, and it produces a, 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 a basically an, an overwhelming harvest, thirty, sixty, a hundredfold. So there it is. You have a sower 
you have seed and you have soil. But this is just a parable. And then Jesus' disciples are confused by Jesus' teaching method. And so they ask him why he does it. And then Jesus gives us in the rest of our text the purpose of the parables. Look at verses 10 through 16. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? I think they're kind of saying, um, Yeah, we'd like to know what this means too because we're kind of dull. We're not getting it, Jesus. Um, you're telling stories. Everybody loves to hear them, but why are you doing it? And we need to know what this stuff means. Okay? And he says, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. You didn't expect Jesus to say that, did you? To you has been given, the, the, given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear. And with their eyes, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them but blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear for truly I say to you many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it so Jesus tells us here the purpose of parables and it might not be what you expect but let me give you a few things here to consider first According to Jesus, the purpose of parables is to conceal truth from some and to reveal truth to others. That doesn't sound awesome, does it? But that's what Jesus says. Jesus says, I'm speaking to you in parables because I'm going to conceal truth from some people and I'm going to reveal truth to others. We have to understand that this means that Jesus' parables will harden the hearts of some people and it will soften the hearts of others. The same heat that melts wax will harden clay. That's just the way the sun works. And so we have to come face to face with that. The same sun that gives light to our world will blind others. And this is why Jesus says at the end, let him who has ears, let him hear. Now this is, this is the counterintuitive nature of Christ's kingdom. The first or last, and the Pharisees who claim to see, Jesus says, are really blind. So parables reveal spiritual truth and conceal spiritual truth at the same time. They unveil and they veil. Now Jesus says, secondly, notice... Jesus says secondly and plainly here that the secrets to the kingdom of God are given to those who follow Jesus. That if you follow Jesus, you are given spiritual insight. That there is a spiritual work that has happened in your heart where you have been given spiritual insight 
into Christ. That Jesus is compelling. Jesus is worth following. Jesus is someone who I long to know and be with. And to others, he's a crazy madman who I want nothing to do with. And he's just a religious zealot, the blind leading the blind. There's something going on here. But Jesus says that his disciples have been given the secrets to the kingdom and the rest of the world hasn't. The rest of the world hasn't. So the point is that Jesus' kingdom is a spiritual kingdom that requires spiritual light. It requires spiritual life. It requires spiritual sight and understanding. And Jesus, by the way, said this thing, said this very clearly to Nicodemus. If you remember John 3, let me, let me read to you a little bit from there. Nicodemus was a ruler of the Pharisees, a member of the ruling council, the Sanhedrin, a teacher of all of Israel, and he comes to Jesus like this. It says, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. So he knows something. He knows that Jesus isn't some ordinary guy. He's a teacher sent from God. He says, we know that you're a teacher sent from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. Jesus, we see miracles. Jesus, we hear your teaching. Jesus, we know that you're sent by God. And then Jesus answered him and said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, you know a lot of spiritual things. But unless you're born again, you cannot even see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? I want you to just notice here that Nicodemus misses it. Jesus isn't talking about natural birth, is he? He's talking about spiritual birth. Nicodemus misses it. Completely. Jesus, you want me to crawl back into my mama's womb? Doesn't sound like a good idea. Nicodemus, I agree. It's not a good idea. He misses it. Because Jesus is saying that there's something spiritual here that has to happen. And then listen to what Jesus says to him. <laughs> Jesus, he says, he says, how can one... He, um, and then Jesus, uh, let me get back to where I was. Nicodemus said, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you. Jesus doubles down. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You have to be born of the Spirit, Nicodemus. He says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And then Nicodemus says, how can these things be? Jesus, I don't understand. And Jesus said, are you a teacher of Israel, and you don't understand this? Jesus rebukes him. That's my point here. Jesus says that this, this, these truths have been given to his disciples who have a spiritual relationship with Jesus, who have come into Jesus' kingdom by being born again, being saved, being, having repented of their sins to follow Jesus. Now look at verse 12. Verse 12, Jesus says that spiritual truth bears more spiritual truth. To the one who has, he will be given even more and he will have an abundance. But the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. So Jesus' point here is that spiritual truth bears more spiritual truth. 
And at the same time, here's the warning. Hardness of heart only brings more hardness of heart. That is a scary thing. If if you're one of those people who say, you know what, I'm not going to follow Jesus now, but I'm going to follow Jesus when I get to college. No, you won't. Or when I finish college, then I'm going to decide to follow Jesus. No, you won't. Or then I'm going to follow Jesus when I get married. No, you won't. Then I'm going to follow Jesus when I have children. No, you won't. Then I'm going to follow Jesus when my children graduate and go off to college. No, you won't. Because the truth of the matter is hardness of heart only begets more hardness of heart. And so the longer you walk in hardness of heart, the very less likely you are to follow Jesus. That's the point. But those who respond are promised that they will be given further spiritual growth and insight. So here it is. If you hear and receive, then more will be added. If you refuse and reject, then even the light that you have will be that you that you even the light you have been given will be taken away. And Jesus says that the parables serve as warnings to hear and respond to truth. If you have ears, he who has ears, let him hear. Then Jesus tells them why he's speaking in parables. He quotes Isaiah 6, 9, and 10, where God commissions Isaiah to go and spread God's word across Israel. And then God gives Isaiah a mission. And then he says to Isaiah, and you won't be successful? You're going to go preach the gospel far and wide in all the people of Israel, and you know what they're going to do? They're going to reject it. You're not going to be successful, Isaiah. You're just going to be obedient. Because the people are not going to hear. They're, going to, they're not going to repent. Instead, his preaching is going to bring greater judgment on them for their hardness of heart. So, Jesus' parables fulfill God's purposes for Jesus' ministry that will ultimately lead, and this is the hard truth, the parables fulfill God's purposes for Jesus' ministry that will ultimately lead to salvation for some and judgment for others. In this sense, the parables bring us face to face with the sovereignty of God. You cannot come to the parables without coming face to face with the sovereignty of God. They cut through the very heart of eternal issues. There is a God with whom all of us must deal, and that God cannot be manipulated, coerced, or avoided. That's what the parables do. And then notice, though, that Jesus gives an assurance to his disciples in verse 16. He says, But blessed are your eyes, for you do see and your ears, for they do hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And then to make sure they understand it, Jesus explains it further. So look at the parable explained. Look at verses 18 through 23. I'm trying to go fast here. 18 through 23. He says, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, The evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for that which was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy for a while. Sorry, receives it with joy, and and yet he has no root in himself, but he endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. And as for what was sown on good soil, 
This is the one who hears the word and understands it. And he, he indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundred, another sixty, and another thirty. So, listen to the parable explained. Remember what parables are for. They're intended to teach us to see the world as it really is. Jesus is giving us a chance to understand reality as he created it. And the first insight into this reality is this. I'm going to give you briefly four, four insights here. Four. So you can write them down or they won't be on the screen. You'll have to write them down or ask me about them later. The first insight into this reality is this. The word of God must be sowed anywhere and everywhere. That's the first lesson of the parable, right? Jesus said, a sower goes out to sow. No field is sown without the work of a sower. It doesn't happen. Jesus says that we are to go and sow the field of the world. Jesus has given his followers the seed of the gospel to sow indiscriminately in the world. So we don't get to discriminate in our spreading of the gospel. We can't simply spread it in places where we think that we think are more fertile or more receptive or more open or more or treat us better. Acts 1:8 makes that abundantly clear when Jesus says you will be my you will be when the uh, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you you will be my witnesses and you will bear witness where in Jerusalem at your hometown in Judea the surrounding area and then where Samaria the people you hate. You're going to take the gospel to the people that hate you and you hate them to the ends of the earth. You sow the seed indiscriminately. We must take the gospel to all peoples everywhere and no one is given a pass. Jesus says, disciples sow the gospel. That's the first insight into the world as it really is. The gospel has to be sown to the ends of the earth. Second, the second truth is this. There is a spiritual battle going on at all times with a real enemy who is seeking to kill, to steal, and to destroy. What does Jesus say there? Jesus says that there's an enemy actively working to destroy the health and potential of the seed. He says the enemy comes and snatches the word away. There really is an enemy who is really at work. Paul lived and understood this reality, right? He famously says in Ephesians 6, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of, the, of evil in the heavenly places. Which means, if Jesus is teaching us the world as it really is, we cannot deny the fact that there is a spiritual battle going on in our world. To deny this truth is to deny the reality that Jesus unveils in this parable. So if you're here this morning listening to the gospel, you need to know that the enemy is also working to distract you from the truth, to delay your response to it in order to ultimately destroy you. That's the truth. The enemy, it, just as God is at work, the enemy is also at work. Third, Jesus tells us in this parable, he gives a warning that the cares of this world the deceits of this world and the struggles of this world all battle against your soul. Do you see that? Look at verses 20 through 22. He says, that which was sown on the rocky ground, they hear the word, they receive it with joy, and yet he has no root in himself. He endures for a while, 
But when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the gospel, that word, immediately he falls away. He can't withstand the pressure. Or that was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Which means that disciples must persevere in difficulties and lay aside the cares of this world for the sake of Christ's kingdom. It's a kingdom principle, right? This theme comes up time and again in Jesus' preaching. In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 7, just six chapters earlier, in Jesus' famous sermon, he says there, enter by the narrow gate. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And there are few that find it. That's Jesus' point, right? He says if you're going to be his disciple, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. He never says it's going to be easy. So the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of this world, the struggles of this world are battling against your soul day by day. We have to be willing to follow Jesus in the midst of difficulties. That's the truth of Jesus' parable. And then finally, here is the truth as it is in this world we live in. We are not responsible for the response of those who receive the word as it is sown. The sower does what? We sow the seed. We spread it indiscriminately. The issue isn't success. The issue is obedience. This particular parable is meant to prepare Christ's disciples for the Great Commission. Jesus is going to send them out very soon to preach the word everywhere. And he never judges them based on whether or not they're successful. He just asks them, did you sow the seed? Did you go share the gospel? The gospel, we have to remember, is foolishness to those that are perishing. The Bible actually says that Satan, the enemy, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the glory of Christ in the gospel. So our responsibility as we go, we are to sow the word of the gospel dependent upon the Holy Spirit to work in our evangelistic efforts. To remove blindness and hardness of heart. To open eyes. To awaken faith. So they can see Jesus and be saved. But here's the truth. Those who hear and respond. Those where the seed of the gospel takes root in their hearts and lives. Will produce abundant fruit. Where the gospel is received. Fruit will follow. Now here's my conclusion as I wrap this up couple hard questions for you. This is Jesus' parable. A couple of hard questions. If you look at your life, which soil looks most like you? Which soil looks most like you? If you're not producing fruit, can you say that you are the good soil? Remember, Jesus' parables are meant to cut through the defenses that we align against them. Jesus says, no, the seed is sown and it falls on soil. So your heart is soil, one way or the other. We all want to think here that we're the good soil, but if you look at this parable, only one of the four recipients produced anything. 
And the problem with our hearts is that we all naturally think we are the good soil when we are not. We are desperately sick and wicked and in need of the gospel. We must understand that it's the Spirit of God at work in the gospel that irrigates and prepares the heart to receive the seed. So that means if you are here, you're not good soil because you're good soil. You're good soul because of the grace of Jesus at work in your heart. That's a grace issue. Our hearts, the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all else and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So we need the Spirit of God at work in all of our hearts. So here's the question again. Does the gospel you hear each week simply bounce off your heart without affecting your life, then you need to get honest with yourself and you need to cry out to Jesus to break up the fallow ground of your heart. Jesus, oh Jesus, work in me to produce what only you can produce by the gospel at work in me. You have to preach the gospel to yourself. For others, the question is, are you sowing the word of the gospel to your own heart? Are you sowing the gospel to others? Are you doing what Jesus says here, that there really is a field, there really is people who need the gospel, and it's our job to sow the word? Are you willing to share the hope of the gospel with your friends and neighbors? Are you willing to be the missionary on your street who sows the seed of the gospel? Are you prayerfully sharing the gospel with them over time, trusting God's spirit to produce fruit so there will be a harvest? I know what you're saying. Well, Jacob, I'm not a preacher. Jacob, I don't know. Jacob, I can't do this. What you're saying is you actually don't trust in the power of God's Spirit through the simple sharing of the gospel message. You think it actually depends on you. You think not only do you control the soil, you think you control it's your ability to share the message that matters. That's what Jesus' parable should break through in your heart and say, you're wrong. Jesus saves people through the simple faithfulness of people loving others and sharing the hope of Christ. I'm telling you, it's crazy. But this is the, God, this is the way the kingdom works, so that no one can say, man, I'm the best evangelist in the world. I'm, every time I preach, a thousand people come to Jesus. If somebody told me that, I would laugh at them. Because Jesus says only one out of four here are, are receiving the word. But Jesus says faithfulness is what matters. Obedience is what matters. And so this morning, as I close, first, have you received the gospel? Or is this today, another day, where you're going to harden your heart and just beget more hardness of heart? Or are you going to say, Jesus, I need you, and respond in faith? If you're here this morning, we invite you to come and receive Jesus. Receive the word. And if you're a believer, we invite you to receive the word and produce fruit. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask that you would draw near to us now as we hear, as we've heard your word. I pray that your parables have cut through our minds and our hearts and the defenses that we uh, rise against them. And Father, may we enter into the world that Jesus says really is. A word where there really is the gospel at work. The word where there really is sowers in the field. A world where there really is an enemy who is trying to destroy us. And Father, a world where there really is hope for those who come to Jesus, where they can experience forgiveness and eternal life. Father, bless this time as we meet. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.